Hello, hello, and welcome back to PTPOV. I am here with Kara and Carly this morning, and today we are going to talk about the tough and delicate topic of burnout. Um, should be a really great conversation that we're about to have. So before we get started, let's hear what's on Kara's mind. Well, first of all, congratulations to the newlywed in the group, Maggie and Henry, um, who's here in spirit, but um, congratulations well, on getting married last month. Um, Appreciate it. <laughs> what's on my mind today is I know I talked about last time how we had just adopted a dog and now we're having the issue where he's getting so comfortable being in our home that he's decided that he's going to start marking his territory and <laughs> Ooh, no so yes so now he wears what we lovingly call pee pants um our trainer calls it a cummerbund and makes it sound way fancier than it is but he's wearing pee pants now <laughs> like to a make doggy sure that... diaper yes it's just like a wrap that <laughs> just wraps around <laughs> him and uh yeah so he I has to wear that, heard of that. House now. <laughs> yes this is supposed to help him for when he does try to mark on something he'll instead pee his pants and hopefully he will learn that that is not something that he wants to do and wants to feel um and it's not going super great <laughs> the oh, other night no. Andrew forgot to put them on him when we went to bed and sure enough he peed on our bench in our dining room and yeah so it's been fun <laughs> oh my gosh you I'm wouldn't so think that sorry. would happen with an older wouldn't that be like a younger dog thing? This is coming from the one person say, here who doesn't have I remember a dog. So, <laughs> and this the is first the first time. Dog. Yeah, the first time our puppy Riggins did it, he was oh my gosh, it still makes my blood boil. Um, I was cleaning the sheets. I was putting new sheets on the bed. This dog jumped on it, looked me in my eyeballs, and my head. <laughs> I saw red. Um, yeah, no, thankfully that was not a habit in our home so I feel for you Kara <laughs> well they had told us to they're like well because he had been brought home to some of the volunteers houses when he was still in the shelter and they're like sometimes he marks if there's like other dogs and we're like oh that's fine like small dogs used to live in this house but like we completely renovated and like painted and changed out flooring and stuff so we're like there shouldn't be any dog scent from the previous owners but we've noticed that he likes to pee on surfaces that the cats frequently rub up against. And so it's like, oh, I didn't think he'd be territorial with cats. <laughs> so we think that's what's happening. <laughs> Oof. I am so sorry. Yeah. But now he's got a new middle name. So he's Connor P. Pants Johnson. And <laughs> <laughs> is that a good parenting style? Should I give my kids that? <laughs> yeah, you should. <laughs> Gentle bullying out of love. <laughs> and then carly what's on your mind well um gonna do a little check-in on the old new year's resolutions uh, i would like to announce that i made it 99 days without a piece of candy wow yep. couldn't do the yep. one yep. for the triple digits uh the real problem was that i didn't count that oh. I, didn't, I wasn't aware I was on day 99 on Easter and those Aww. Reese's eggs, man, they're night kryptonite. Um, so that that's one 99 days, not too bad, far away from I was gonna make it. Um, and I rack. Sorry, you cut out. That's none of us not reacting for any other reason. Just, just not hearing you. I was hoping it was did you just hear me. my. Did you hear my drum roll? 
I heard yes. drum roll and then rack. So I'm I made assuming it. <laughs> it had to be squat rack. <laughs> I made it in the squat rack. Nice. Officially squatting once a week with Woo. decent for being old, tall, and not bendy. So, old. um, <laughs> here like we the are. Youngest one out of all of us here. So, mm. I don't know if that's spirit. a strong argument. Although, <laughs> in spirit, Meg might give me a run for my money. I'm 85 <laughs> and you're 86. Or, what does that make me? That's hilarious. Young. Well, good for you, Carly. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. How about you, Megs? Mrs. Mrs. Megs. <laughs> Mrs. Grandma Megs. Madam Grandma Megs. <laughs> I have, with my newfound free time post-wedding planning, I have successfully and independently cleaned out all the mildew in one of our showers, cleaned out some of the old cracked grout, re-grouted, and sealed the tile on the bottom floor. And I just felt like a badass Rosie the Riveter of like, I can do this. Wow. Every time Henry would walk by and he'd say, do you need any help? I'm like, nope, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it all by myself. Proud so, of you. Yep. That's what's on my mind. Feeling very accomplished. House project accomplished. <laughs> Grandma tool man, Mags. <laughs> <laughs> she wears so many hats. <laughs> so... According to the World Health Organization, burnout kind of has a lot of different definitions, but it's defined as not a medical condition, but more of like an occupational phenomenon. I'll kind of start by saying that. So it's not necessarily like a diagnosis like depression would be. It's sort of a, a phenomenon that happens in the workplace based on a subset of feelings. So some of the feelings that they cite are feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, increased mental distance from one's job, or reduced professional efficacy. So they're all kind of fancy terms for, I mean, basically emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and then the feelings of like reduced accomplishment in the workplace. What's challenging is that based on the research that I've found, it's really tough to identify like a certain subset of factors that cause this necessarily. Like it's pretty, it's kind of vague. And there's been a few studies that have kind of combined a qualitative analysis as well as one-on-one interviews. And they used like a burnout inventory survey, which I've seen cited a few times, but I haven't looked into it specifically. But these, these studies have shown that there's a few things that cause like increased stress at work that can lead to burnout. So some of the things that they cited were increased workload with no increase in wages, a loss of control of schedule, and then a mismatch between organizational culture and values. And then some of the other ones were a high debt burden, low salaries again, and then declining reimbursement in the physical therapy world specifically. So it's kind of a, a multitude of things that lead to this, but um, what we're going to kind of discuss today is some of the some of the things I just listed leading to burnout and then some of the symptoms that we feel when we've felt burnout. So let's start with 
talking about the increased workload with no increase in wages specifically. I feel like Kara's previous job might be a good example of this. Well, there are a lot of things wrong with my previous job, which led to me quitting after eight months of working there. But I think a big thing was that it was one of those companies that's a private practice outpatient, more like sports ortho geared type facility. And there's multiple clinics throughout the state, but essentially they were one of those clinics that were like, oh, like work is your life and life is your work. Like you should be eating, breathing, everything, this company. And I think it, for me, it got to the point where it was like, people would ask me about my favorite hobbies. And I'd be like, I don't know, sleeping, not documenting at home. Like there was just no work-life balance there, but that was a company too, where they thrive on having essentially all the therapists kind of like friendly competing against each other because it got to the point too, where they were reimbursing therapists based on how many patients per week they were seeing. And not only that, but how many units per patient that they were billing. And if it was an insurance company that reimbursed higher than another one, you would get paid more. And that's just such an unethical (laughs) business model. Like that, that's literally walking into like a furniture store and there's like salesmen competing over you and seeing how expensive of a couch they can sell you. Like we're not in the business of sales. Like we are in the business of healthcare. Like that just really makes me mad. Right. And if you were seeing like a Medicare patient or like a Medicaid access patient is what it's called in Arizona. It's like they tend to reimburse a little bit less. So it's like, if you're gearing towards a certain population, like at the time too, and I still am, it's like post-op prostatectomy. So it's like usually older gentlemen that are usually on Medicare by that point. And at that point too, it's like, I had to see a patient every half hour. So if I was treating a Medicare patient, back in the treatment room and I had another Medicare patient out on the floor with my technician, I couldn't legally bill for both at the same time because I wasn't there supervising the other patient. Technically they weren't in my line of sight and they would, my company would come back to me and be like, well, technically like you can to bill optimally. And I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, I hate this. Like this is not right. And because I did that, I was losing money. (laughs) So I was making less money and that was was crazy. Yeah, because I was billing ethically. My patients liked me. My patients typically got better. And I was probably one of the lowest paid therapists in my clinic being the pelvic therapist. Carly, have you experienced anything like this? Yes. Um, (laughs) Yes, I have. Um, So I probably about, I guess this was a year and a half, almost two years ago now. um, I am the team lead at my hospital. So I kind of coordinate all the day-to-day stuff, um, with the therapy staff scheduling and all that good stuff. And, um, there was a period of time where our director of therapy, who is my boss retired. And there were, I think six or seven weeks before the new one was like up and running. And so I, as the team lead got to be not only a full-time treating physical therapist, the team lead, but I had to take on director responsibilities. And there were, uh, easily six of the hardest weeks of my life that I didn't really feel like I signed up for. Although, I mean, I agreed to it, but I had absolutely no idea what it was going to take out of me. And I think the moment that I realized it was burnout was when I looked at my phone and my calendar and I had not had a single weekend where I wasn't 
dealing with a crisis. I was not sleeping at night. I was at one point I had to turn down a weekend CEU course. Cause I said, if I, if I have to be at this hospital, cause it was at our hospital for another day, I'm going to, I'm going to lose it. I'm going to lose my mind. And I was, I don't know. I wasn't a very good physical therapist. I wasn't really a good team lead during that time. I, I was the absolute definition of exhausted and just could not function. And I mean, just like the definition, I was doing the work of literally two people and I got a small bonus for like acting (laughs) as director. Nice. It was... (laughs) And at the time, I remember when they were like, okay, so, you know, there's this period of time. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, that's most of what I do already. And then I was like, I have made a grave mistake. (laughs) Like four weeks in, I'm like, it was, was the, I don't know. I can't even describe it now looking back at it. I just remember being so bone tired, no matter what. I I don't know. I can't even accurately or like descriptively give you how I was feeling because I was just so numb and that's exactly the word I was just going to suggest because I felt that before going through the motions not doing anything well like I'm not helping anyone not helping myself certainly not helping my patients yeah that's actually interesting you say that because one of the other articles I was kind of reading um And this is actually from the 80s, which is incredible that they've been trying to study burnout since the 80s and have been relatively unsuccessful. But it was they cited a decrease in job performance because of the burnout. And I completely identify with what you said of like when I'm feeling this way, I'm not the best PT I can be. Mm -mm. And it's hard to force yourself to like get into that headspace when, yeah, when there's a lot of stressors around. It's, I, I think it's kind of similar to me for like my same symptoms of compassion fatigue, except it's not necessarily that I, um, it's not the same in that I've been feeling so much. It's like, I can't focus and give you all of my tension when I have a full staff of people that need me and there's 17 problems and there's a patient grievance and we're, we're short staffed and they want to bring in this many patients. And I'm like, it's not because I can't. I can't feel the type of compassion and empathy. Like when I'm feeling compassion fatigue, it's like, I can't afford to give you all of my attention because I have 17 things pulling at me and it's already six 30 at night. And I'd really like to get home before the sun goes down kind of. Yeah. It sucks. I feel it sucked that. Yeah. And that's hard because it's like a feeling of you're doing so much and then you feel undervalued for it because you're not getting any pay increase and you're not offered any help. Yeah. It's just like, hey, we're going to give this to you because we need you to. Good luck. And please don't quit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And that that's I resonated so much with the just with the definition because it's like my work, my workload literally doubled. And they're like, here's a bonus. And it, it, oh, you're gonna be the, you're gonna be all these things. And I'm like, that sounds great. This was not great. <laughs> this was not great. I, I get in a time machine. <laughs> what this reminds me of is that our organization, and again, this is not directly related to our department, but probably a higher up systemic issue. But the job of residency director that I have, as well as the job of our 
CCCE, who does like all of the student rotations, when they publicize those and ask for people who are interested, they make it very clear, like this is a volunteer position only. And at the time, when you hear that, you're like, okay, maybe it's like the the volunteer where there's one person in our department that's like department morale chair, you know, that's like supposed <laughs> to plan like a happy hour every few months. It's like, that is an appropriate volunteer position. But the amount of work that our CCCE does to navigate student placements out of all of outpatient, navigate if a student isn't doing well, help reassign students when a therapist leaves or like has a maternity leave unexpectedly that like a student was going to overlap. It's like she's always answering emails and doing all of that for free. And that's similar to the residency position. Like I love directing the residency, but it does hurt sometimes when I'm working like two jobs at work and getting paid less than other therapists who are working one job. Yeah, that's just, yeah, that's (laughs) totally unfair. And like, we see how much work you put into this. And I think it's insane that it's like, we're probably making about the same amount of money (laughs) when it's like, you're doing so much more than I am. And it's not necessarily the money, like, obviously, that'd be nice, but it's the feeling of feeling valued. It's like, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't feel like the wage that I'm receiving is reflecting the amount of work that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And that's like a feeling of, I mean, feeling valued at your job. It's not necessarily, I mean, I could always use the more cash, you know, but it's like, if I felt that my workload was fairly reflected in my wage, then I feel like I would probably feel much different about it. Mm -hmm. They should have paid you triple digits for your job, Carly. (laughs) (laughs) I, I did tell them that if I were to ever do it again, there would need to be several more zeros involved <laughs> after the fact. <laughs> like several, I could laugh about it now. We can laugh now. We're almost It'll recovered. It'll cost you one billion dollars for Literally. me to do this again. <laughs> Literally, get out your pocketbook. <laughs> what about? I know we kind of already touched on this with Kara kind of speaking of her past experience and actually all of this kind of applies, but any more thoughts on like the mismatch between organizational culture and values? I have an example from a friend that I can offer. Um, She took a float position at like a big hospital system and they kind of preached to her in the hiring process. Like we we really value our floats. We will give you like ample training in all of these settings, but, and you'll be covering like maternity leave. So it'll be long-term placements and not necessarily jumping around. And they're like, we pride ourselves on our patient care delivery and blah, blah, blah. And what's ended up happening is that they don't give her any extra like chart review or doc time when she shows up Mm -hmm. to like a whole new schedule. And then her caseload is one of those where it's really hard to point of service doc um, because it's pediatrics. So it's, (laughs) yeah, so it's impossible when you're like trying to wrangle a toddler and then they don't give them any extra doc time. So they're like, well, we value your, we value our, or we pride ourselves on patient care and quality of patient care. However, she finds herself like either clocking out and continuing to work or having to try and point of service document 
while she's with the kiddo, which is not the best patient care, but she's like, this is the only way I get to go home on time. And it's sort of forcing your hand, um, yeah, to be in a position that you don't necessarily want to be in. It affects patient care. So that's kind of one example that I see of, yeah, we pride ourselves in the best patient care, but we're not necessarily supporting our therapists in order to achieve that mission. Well, I think that's even part of the issue too, is when you said she's clocking out and then still working to document, it's like, I think there needs to be some sort of acceptance across the board where it's like, especially in certain specialties, like pediatrics, pelvic health, whatever it might be. It's like, it's not always feasible to be like, oh, you can just document while you're treating and working with the patient. It's just like, that's not feasible. So that's something that I respect about my job now, where it's like, if you're still working, if you're still documenting, you should stay clocked in, which is also the nice thing about being hourly versus salary too. But I think it's that they get pressured. She is hourly, (laughs) but they get pressured of like, if she goes overtime, but also Mm -hmm. with a float position, if she's not going back to that location the next day, it's not like if she has something after work, she can leave and come in early and finish her notes. It's like, she has to get them done mm-hmm. before she leaves that day, which is a lot more pressure. And I feel like they should allow a little bit more grace in those positions. Unfortunately, I think that just a, a sad state of where healthcare is right now in our a whole other, this could be probably 14 podcasts, but every <laughs> hospital's value is, you know, patient care and patients first and all this. But then when it comes down to it, it's, it's a, it's a business, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of hospitals, it's a business. And when there's, you know, not butts in beds or there's not a profit, it's all about the bottom line. And it's a really just a sad state of healthcare right now that I think a lot of us as clinicians and not just PTs, OTs, nurses, everybody are kind of feeling the brunt of it. And that certainly, I mean, if you are, if anyone else is obsessed with TikTok, like I am and happen to be on like health or care work, TikTok, it is a, seems to be a pretty common theme or it says a lot about what's up, comes up on my algorithm. (laughs) (laughs) Not sure. Not sure, but yeah, definitely. The other thing that I thought was interesting was this article citing the increased debt burden. Mm. And so I found, I found on a, it's like the PT progress magazine. I'm not, I am not really familiar with it, but they cite that 85% of PT grads finish school with over $115,000 of student debt just from PT school, which is nearly four times the national average. Hmm. And then not only is tuition exponentially higher, like DPT program costs have risen by 30% in the last 10 years. So it's like, we're not getting increased wages. We're not getting better reimbursement. If anything, we go to battle with Congress like every year just to reimburse for Medicare for a conservative therapy. Like it's, yeah, that whole new podcast for that, me getting on my soapbox. (laughs) But we're also having to pay so much more to go to PT school. And then we come out of it with these jobs that don't have good culture, like workplace culture, It's kind of tough to say, but that's really not a good sustainable design for a profession. (laughs) 
<laughs> like at some point somebody's going to figure out like man this is might not be worth my money <laughs> yeah i mean that's why i think that's why a lot of um ot programs as they start to make the same transition that we made all those years ago from a master's to a doctorate is wow i have to go to school for longer i have to pay more and who knows if i will make a you know a one slower make more, money. Like more. <laughs> make more money but there was a word I... <laughs> it's a real word i was looking for that made me sound I'm not smarter sure. <laughs> I don't you're know. Doing a Move great job. <laughs> i think i mean i think that's it's true though and i think when they moved to the doctorate they were probably expecting that to like promote the profession more than it ended up yeah and I, I agree. I think that was the whole point. And the point too, was just like us having more autonomy as like healthcare professionals, but it's like, okay, like even where we work in outpatient hospital base, where it's like, we should be able to see patients without referrals, but we're still dictated by the insurance company. So, and I know we've yeah. already talked about that in the past, but it's just like, what are we actually gaining from this burden yeah. of debt we've taken on? Yeah, it's it's tough because I I still I mean talking about burnout is hard. I still love being a physical therapist and I'm still happy that that's the path I chose, but when you look at the statistics, it's really hard. It would be really hard for me if a high schooler was like, "Hey, should I go into PT?" It's like, "Yes, because I love my job and it's a great profession." No, if you're worried about like having all of this debt and potentially getting yourself in a situation where like burnout levels are high, like on paper, it certainly doesn't look good. So that's, that's kind of a tricky, tricky thing to navigate. And I think it's hard too. Cause like when you're trying to consider the career going into, it's like, maybe you were a patient at a physical therapy clinic, or maybe you shadowed a physical therapist for a day. And it's like, especially in some clinics, it's like, wow, like this looks pretty low key. This looks pretty not stressful, but then it's like, you see all of the behind the scenes things and it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like this is not what I expected. Yeah. So how do you guys know? I mean, Carly spoke about this well about feeling kind of depleted and numb and whatnot. Mm -hmm. uh, anything else on how you guys know you're, you're feeling burnt out? For me, it definitely comes in waves. Like there, there are weeks that are harder than others. So it's not something that I feel consistently, but something that kind of comes and goes for me. It's like when I've thought about it, I like now being four years in, I'm like, I think that about twice a year is when I start really feeling where I'm like, this is a little bit more extended than just like I had a bad day or a bad week at work, where maybe it's like a few weeks at a time where I'm just like, questioning everything and maybe I'm just getting emotional even like talking about or thinking about work or maybe I don't even want to talk about work because of how I'm feeling um but I think the difference between that and like where I felt at the end of my last job where it was like months on end and I was crying multiple times a week and it was just like I was questioning do I want to be a physical therapist or does this job just really suck and then I'm so glad that I went just the job sucks and I got a new job and it was like oh my gosh, this is how it should be. This is how I should be feeling. So I'm glad that I went that route instead of just being like, I'm going to switch professions altogether. So like even right now, I think I'm kind of in one of my phases of burnout, just 
having a lot going on, having a long-term student, um, one of my long-term patients a couple weeks ago passed away. So that was weighing down on me. Um, and just like a lot of other things that are going on. But I think the difference right now is that I'm like, okay, now that I'm four years in, I can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel where I'm like, this is just a hard time right now and it will get better. Mm -hmm. I agree with a lot of things both of you said, but for me, it's like waking up in the morning and feeling like, man, I really don't want to go to work today. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. all right, something might be off there. (laughs) (laughs) Or when I have a lineup of patients that day that are really hard to communicate with and maybe will contribute to my compassion fatigue, then similarly, it's like, okay, I'm feeling like I'm not being valued enough for the amount of emotional energy that I'm putting into this. Um, Which again, it has nothing to do with not loving my job. It's just the, the culture of where our profession's at, where you're seeing patients back to back to back to back and low time to like settle your brain in between and, and all of that stuff. Yeah. Mine certainly comes in waves too. And I find that it has a lot to do with like my status and like where the hospital is at. Like, uh, it, you know, if we have a super high census or we have a really low census and everyone's really stressed or, um, where we have a max capacity caseload and they are all, you know, heavy lifts and questionable discharge plans and, and difficult complex treatment. And I just don't feel good at my job. Um, I feel like it all kind of, it comes and goes in waves with how everything is going. I don't know. Maybe that doesn't make any sense. Or maybe no, I, I just, no, maybe, I, it maybe I notice it more. <laughs> maybe I notice it more when like, wow, everything around me is on fire <laughs> versus, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's like I have a very pleasant caseload and all of them have wonderful discharge plans. And I get to see one of them at a time and I don't have to rush. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of everything versus nothing. That was a yeah. very intelligent statement. You're welcome. <laughs> I like Thank the you. picture of everything on fire. <laughs> you know, the meme where it's the dog yes. and he's at a table drinking coffee. I was just that. thinking that. And he's like, this everything's fine. fine. That's me. Except I'm at a desk and I'm documenting. It's we should have that be our Instagram photo for this episode. That's <laughs> <laughs> a great representation. I want to touch on uh, what Kara said about having a long-term student because I... Sometimes having a student for me actually helps my burnout because I feel like I am teaching the next generation and like can kind of use my skills differently. Like I can sort of think out loud and challenge somebody. And I just ever since residency, I've loved helping others develop their clinical reasoning um, and whatnot. However, there there comes a time when you're staying late to co-sign their notes and you have to get there early. Like I actually, like I start at 7.45. I normally get there at 7.30 when it's just me. When I have a student, I'm getting there at like 7, 7.15 because I want to review with them their plan for the morning patients because I don't want them to just go in and then I decide like, no, this is wrong. And then I don't have time to like backpedal. And then it's just not good patient care. Like you have to balance the fact that they are paying for physical therapy services and you're trying to help the student learn. But 
to Kara's point too, like, I don't, you don't get paid for that extra time. Like I'm not getting compensated for the amount of time I'm there early. I'm doing it out of the goodness of my heart. I don't know if that should come from the workplace or from the school. I would argue from the school, but that's, I mean, probably a whole nother can of worms to open. But when, when it gets to be, you're working a lot, or if the student needs some extra attention, then it becomes like, okay, now I'm working like another job here. Like I'm trying to care for my patients, but I'm also trying to facilitate the learning and I can't give my full attention to either of those in the amount of time that I have in a work day. Mm -hmm. And I think the expectation too, is like, if you do have like a long-term terminal rotation, that's maybe 12 to 16 weeks, it's like by the end of it, like the student should be carrying most of, if not all of the caseload in most settings, like pelvic's different, but like an ortho, they should be able to carry most of the caseload on their own. So that's what's nice for you, where it's like, you're putting all this work at the front, but towards the end, it's like, you should be able to, in a certain, to a certain extent, kind of sit back and just like observe, give positive feedback and constructive feedback. But if you have a student where they're maybe like underperforming or maybe they're even regressing at the end of the rotation, it's like, this is a really long time to have to put in this much time and effort. And that's where I think a lot of burnout can come from too. And at the same token, it's like, you're not getting any compensation for that. So it's just like, you're constantly on and that's really hard. Yeah. I agree with Maggie that I, I think that students kind of help for me, I've been really blessed. I've had a bunch of just really wonderful students. And what I think helps me the most is to kind of get reminded of being so excited, you know, like the first time a student gets to help somebody walk for the first time or the first time, uh, you know, a patient is like, you, you helped me, you got me here. This is all on you. And to see how, um, awesome and excited that the student feels, it's like, God, that's why I do this. Like sometimes we get so numb that you're like, oh yeah, yeah, you're welcome. Oh yeah. You walk, you know, but (laughs) just doing God's work. It's good job. (laughs) But when you see it, when you remember how it felt the first time and to see how they excited they are, you're like, damn, we do, we do cool stuff, man. This is great. And that helps. Sometimes you just need to be kind of brought back or Mm -hmm. I do. You know, like bring it back to like, stop being numb. What you do is really cool sometimes. That's exactly what I was trying to explain last episode with CSM is being (laughs) around like all of those clinicians that are so excited about what they do and like pushing the profession forward. It just refills my cup a little bit of like, yeah, we are doing good things, like despite it all. Sometimes when it sucks, we need a reminder. We all do. Mm -hmm. I do. (laughs) What other action items do you guys take to help kind of remedy the burnout feelings when you're in that space? Crickets. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, that's not a good sign. Help. I'm looking for tips here, Megs. I'm looking yeah. for tips. <laughs> Anyone listening has any ideas for us? Just kidding. Um, one thing that I try and do is I try and separate like what I can control versus what I can't control. And I try and do this at other aspects of my life too. And it's much easier for me to sit here and say that than to actually execute. However, one of the things I try and do is advocate for myself and it makes me feel better. It's not always 
successful, but my manager is, like I've said, one of the best managers I've ever had. And I have expressed my feelings of like, Hey, I'm working like a, a job or two here in the same amount of time. Like, I think this deserves a little bit of, um, value attached. And he's like, yeah, I agree. It's just a harder uphill battle with an administration, but him knowing that I feel that way, I don't know, makes me feel better that he's at least aware and he's not defensive about it saying like, well, I told you that this was a volunteer job and all of that <laughs> stuff. He's very, he's very understanding and will agree and say like, yeah, I agree. I'm and any chance I have, I'm advocating for you. It's just a lot harder than, than it may seem. So that always helps me. And then kind of like what we just talked about, sometimes taking a step back and sort of reflecting on why I got into this and trying to really celebrate the small patient victories and think about the patients that I am helping versus the ones that might be taking it out of me. I think it's easier in life to dwell on the things that aren't going well or to criticize yourself for things that you did wrong rather than like celebrate things that you did right. So sometimes taking a moment to do that really helps me. I agree. And I think having supportive administration, supportive supervisors that makes or breaks a job sometimes when you are feeling a certain way. And I'm so lucky too, that I also have a really good supervisor and they don't helicopter my schedule. So if I'm having a really tough day, or if I have a lot of evals in a day and a spot opens up, sometimes I'm like, I'm, I'm blocking it. I just, I need this time to take a minute because most other jobs you have some sort of downtime. Like if you're working a desk job, usually you have some sort of downtime. So the I water think cooler time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we don't get that. <laughs> so it's like when you have an opening in your schedule, sometimes where it's like, sometimes it's like, okay, like there's a patient that really needs to get in now. Cause I don't see them for another four weeks. Cause my schedule is so full that it's like, sure. Like let's put them in there. But other days it's like, I gotta, I gotta do what's best for me. And that's not like an everyday all the time kind of a thing, but it's just like, sometimes you just need that extra time. Mm -hmm. But it's nice that you have a supervisor that's understanding of that. Whereas a lot of outpatient, like the, your first job, basically <laughs> a lot of places, if they saw that they would kind of jump on you and be like, you could have seen three patients in that amount of time. Oh, absolutely. But then and my brain did. would have exploded. <laughs> Exactly. And it did daily, sometimes multiple times a daily. <laughs> yeah. I think Maggie, you hit it on the head, having a supervisor that just acknowledges when things are shitty. Like yeah. that sounds pessimistic, but I, I have an incredible supervisor who sometimes just says, guys, I know things don't feel good right now. Like I, I know it and we're doing X, Y, Z, we're trying to help versus, you know, the healthcare heroes work here here's pizza and cookies <laughs> and stuff you know like acknowledge that it sucks for us right now and do something mm -hmm. to help instead of well still feed me but um <laughs> yeah do both <laughs> i still want the pizza but i do both <laughs> yeah i think yeah affirming your feelings like validating your feelings definitely helps make me feel more valued Mm -hmm. Whereas being in a situation in a, a previous job where it's like, well, this is kind of what you signed up for. And this is the job description. It's like, yeah, it doesn't like, even if there's nothing you can do about it, at least acknowledging that, you know, where I'm coming from, I think mm -hmm. goes a really a long, long way. way. 
The other thing that's helped me, and this is probably a little bit controversial, but I actually encourage talking about how much money you make and organizations don't want you to do this because they won't, they don't want you to find out the differences. And sometimes it can lead to obviously like feeling competitive in your workplace. However, if I would have never been with Henry and like him and I going with finances, I would have never figured out that he is in fact making more money than me as a male at this organization that I've worked at longer and I'm doing, like I've said, about two jobs. So it's like if we would have never sat down and looked at that, I would have never known that I have a space to advocate for myself. Similarly, I've talked to other therapists at my clinic who graduated the same year and kind of similar story. My manager says there's something about me being hired at a weird COVID time, but mm-hmm. it also allows me space to know that I do deserve more rather than if we would have never had those conversations, I would have never known. I don't know if you guys do that and it's very awkward and very hard to figure out a way to do that. But, um, I do think in certain situations it can be very powerful. Absolutely. Knowing that helps you advocate, but also is infuriating. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely goes both ways. I mean, you have to keep a level head about it, but this is something I found out like a year ago and still nothing's been done about it. So It does bother me from time to time, but again, like trying to think of action items for myself, like sitting there and honestly, like thinking about my patients is probably what helps me the most. And thinking about like, I am, I am making a difference. I'm convincing myself I'm making a difference in somebody's life on a daily basis. And that's pretty cool. Pretty cool, guys. I think similarly, similarly to you, Maggie, because my husband is also a physical therapist. Granted, he also works in acute care, but he works for a different hospital system than I do. But it's like he just had his review last month, and now he's making five dollars more an hour than me. And kind of same thing. Graduated at the same time. He doesn't have his specialty. I do, and I know acute care and outpatient, like the reimbursement is probably quite a bit different there. So I can understand that to a certain extent too. But like. Five dollars an hour, like yeah, that is that's such a, lot. a, a big lot. difference. Where I'm like, we're like looking at salaries on paper now, and I'm like, oh my god, like you are making so much more money than me, which is like great because again, like combined finances, like we're both doing well now, but like it still kind of makes me a little frustrated. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm like I love you, but I hate you right now. <laughs> What else? Let's end on a positive note. What else do you guys do to help? Um, I lean on my coworkers, um, which I'm sure they love because, <laughs> but um, I think that having, uh, you know, a, a core group of people that you work with that are in, in the trenches with you, you know, sitting at lunch and able to acknowledge that it's crappy and have someone hopefully we have bad days on opposite days. Cause when we both have bad days, know, it's not the same, but you know, me and my OT fire. Yes. Everything's <laughs> me and my OT partner can come in and say, I'm having a really bad day and I, I need a pep talk. All right, you can do this. Let's go. Ah! Um, or, you know, our case managers or people that are in it with you kind of having someone that really gets it that you can, let's go get a beer or let's, 
take a walk around the hospital at lunch or they recently gave us a basketball hoop so I can, Ooh. you know, uh, yep, take out a little rage and some, you know, ball of shot cola um, situation. <laughs> that helps too. But That's just having cool. people that you can can lean on and and get it to go through it with you, I think is, you know, helpful. And I agree. And I think that's a good thing. I'm really glad that our workplace has Microsoft Teams, not a sponsor, but uh, just something where <laughs> I can be. like, <laughs> but something where I can talk to other people because being in pelvic health and being the only pelvic therapist at my clinic, I'm very isolated because I'm basically just in a tiny room by myself all day. So having something where I can communicate with the outside world, not only just like Maggie, <laughs> but like the <laughs> other pelvic health therapists at other clinics where it's like, we can shoot ideas off of each other. We can complain or talk about our caseload or do whatever we need to do. And I think just having that camaraderie can be really helpful where it's like, okay, good. I'm not the only one feeling this way. And I think that can kind of power me to get through the day or get through the week. Um, and I think even just having weekends off to decompress is also really nice where it's like if it gets to the point where the weekends just aren't enough and you feel like your tank is still getting emptier and emptier then that's a little bit more of a problem mm -hmm. yeah use your eto yeah that exactly <laughs> PTO yes, take helps. a mental health day <laughs> mm -hmm. i think that's a positive note to end on what do you guys think I think this topic is a little burnt out. <laughs> but um oh no, boy. Not even a pity chuckle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Should we play your would you rather? I'm really excited for this. For sure. So I started out a little mild and Braden told me they were boring, so I cut those out. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Ready, folks? Good to know Braden is involved. That makes this more exciting. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <clears throat> Number one, folks, would you rather redo PT school or mm. <laughs> work for three years in your least favorite specialty area? Or setting work. or whatever. Work for three years. Really? Uh, I Okay, maybe I, maybe I jumped the gun think about it chew on I a little think, bit what you think i think i would rather read and let's is it just the didactic stuff or does it include clinical rotations as well mm. i had not thought that deeply into it I, so whichever feels right in your heart i personally wouldn't mind redoing the didactic work of pt school if i still had my current knowledge like just to go back and like refresh on a lot of basic stuff and i don't know like i just that's how I learn the best is like learning something, doing it, and then kind of coming back and relearning. Cause then it's like all the dots connect better. Like, I don't know. I think it'd be fun to go back and do didactic work. Like fun is a weird term to use, but I think I would prefer to do that than work three whole years in a setting that I hate. I would agree with Kara if I get paid. That's <laughs> yeah, that was the, that was the kicker. You don't. Oh. I thought about that. But do you, one do you have question. to pay for it? Because then that Ooh. changes my answer too. <laughs> I'm think, not gonna no, pay more. No, you don't get you don't get paid, but you don't have to pay. Okay, then I'm, yeah. I'm making this up as I go. Says the one married to the man making five dollars an hour more than her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you can afford to do that. 
was like, we are going to combine like almost half million dollars of student loan debt. Yeah. So we're still not Ooh. thriving. Yeah. <laughs> I think I would choose work just to make some money. But if I got paid, I would do didactic. I might have to go back to PT school to like, to, to work in outpatient ortho. <laughs> I might have to go back. <laughs> I might have to do both. <laughs> like I would get fired if I did my least favorite setting because oh, I wouldn't funny. know anything about it. Yeah, it hurts. Um, don't, don't do that thing anymore. No, just kidding. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Um, all right, ready? Next. This one's a personal, this is a personal fave of mine. Would you rather do all of your treatment without seeing your patient or without being able to speak to them? Oh, without seeing them, hands down. Really? It was that easy for you? Think about my specialty. Like, do you know how much consent and how much I need to talk? Like, we mm. need that communication where it's like, I don't need the visual as much as the communication. Uh, you're oh, okay. I have right. 100% the complete opposite. I think me too. <laughs> because if they could not, if I could not see them, then I couldn't like see how they're moving. Like, and we wouldn't do anything, but I feel like I could be pretty good at miming, like in the Dominican Republic, when you don't speak the same language and you're like, let's play charades. <laughs> I was going to say so much of my population is hard of hearing that. Like I do a lot of this already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're on a podcast. Hey, no one, gonna... <laughs> no one knew that I just pantomimed telling someone to stand up. <laughs> See, you're practicing already. Yep. <laughs> All right. Next one. Would you rather have every single patient show up by 15 minutes late or have every single one show up in a bad mood? Oh, yikes. That's tough, though, because if everybody shows up the same amount of late, you can still like shift your day to accommodate oh, that. You found the loophole. You're right. <laughs> Dang it. Sorry, they all show up by late, but an inconsistent amount. Oh my god, that's game changer. There you go. <laughs> oh, that's hard. I think it would depend if I had <clears throat> evals that day. Because if I had a bunch of evals and they're showing up late, that's like misery. That is the biggest but If I had just treatments and they showed up late, but they were all like in the best mood and easy to work with, I'd probably pick that one. I agree. I'm impatient. This is <laughs> so you would be showing up late. Change what it if to all them. your patients, all of your patients were like, can you come back in like 15 yeah, minutes? And then exactly. you come back in 15 minutes and they're like, no. It happens all the time. Lunch. <laughs> That's just a great question. Lunch. It depends on if I'm allowed to go next door and be like, hey, you want to do some PT? And <laughs> go back. Because some days that is what happens. Um yeah, that's probably the one I would choose. I would choose that one because I'm a great schedule rearranger, but no, I can't. I don't know if I could. I would be very compassion fatigued if every patient was always in a bad mood. Yeah, that, yeah, that stinks. All right. Um, <laughs> this one I got from a nursing would you rather game. <laughs> 
Um, would you rather, and because you guys are outpatient, you'll have to bear with me a little bit, wear the same scrubs or outfit every day for a year or the same undies? Like no washing? Not washing? No washing. I mean, I'm sure Kara has some professional sure. opinions. <laughs> yeah, like, like never wear like, the same undies for that long. <laughs> sounds like a lot could go wrong down there. <laughs> oh, but for oh, please don't do that. I've got some questionable substances on some scrubs that would be hard to live with for a year. That is That's fair. A hard point. <laughs> that doesn't happen true. to me as often. It's mostly just the old man dust, oh, like fl- the flaky skin. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we call that. <laughs> Jesus, Carly. Think about that next time you take someone's no, socks off. No, thank you. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Ew. All right. Um, the last one kind of is on on topic for today. Um, would you rather love your coworkers and managers and dislike your patients, or love your patients and dislike all of your coworkers and managers? So that's the one you would, would choose. I would pick that, yeah, because I feel like, like we've talked about today, like your manager and your coworkers just help so much. However, would I have any issues if I just loved all my patients and stayed to myself? <laughs> I don't know. It's like if I didn't like my coworkers, but I still liked my manager, but I still liked my patients. It's like I don't have to interact with my coworkers all that much, anyways. But like the management is so important and your coworkers and your manager are going to be the ones that are with you all the time and patients come and go. So I feel like I would probably pick that too. But if I also ran into the situation where I'm like, I constantly hate all of my patients all the time, like maybe I shouldn't be a physical therapist. (laughs) That is true. Fair point. Next time on BTPOV. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) On the next episode of I hate all of my patients. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i don't know totally. if there's ever been a time when i've disliked everyone on my caseload like there's always those really great ones that pop in and out so that w- i guess that would be different that would be hard it's true that wasn't a great one to end on i'm sorry <laughs> i could Did bring back my boring Carly? ones no i haven't chosen i haven't committed to anything for any of this this is my yeah. game <laughs> <laughs> well that's <laughs> This is for you guys. I've said just enough to make you think that I've made an opinion. And then I'm like, next one. <laughs> I make the rules. That was a good game. I liked that yeah, one. Yeah, I like nice that. Nice work. Too. Thank you. Thank you. I'm here all week. Thank you for listening to another episode of PTPOV. Like and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. As usual, let us know your feedback on Instagram. See you next time.